the name of the seminar is Have You Thought About It? And have you thought about all these things that take place before a relationship? Have you thought about the influences of the people around you? Have you thought about the consequences of making decisions uh, concerning the relationships that you're in? I'm going to share with you today uh, a little bit about the personal relationship with Jesus Christ that you need first. If there's anything that you need to consider openly and honestly uh, with yourself, it's this. Do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you don't have that, then you don't need to be in a relationship with anyone else. Do you believe that? And I'll tell you from personal experience, if you don't have a relationship with God, your influence in the life of another person is destructive. Do you believe that? You know the scripture, the wages of sin is death. Have you heard that before? What's the rest of it say? Yeah. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, if we're living outside of a relationship with God, we cannot be living a holy, a holy life. It's a sinful experience that we're living. And, and if we take that into a relationship with someone else, then we're bringing that damaged situation to them. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And if we're living a sinful life, we only have death to look forward to. And if we get into a relationship with someone else and we begin to share our experience, they only have death to look forward to. And it's not a real good picture, is it? So the good picture is, is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. If I have a relationship with him, I have life in me, and my influence won't be negative, it will be positive, and I'll be drawing, hopefully by God's grace, other people who want to spend time with Jesus. So it's imperative then that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ first. And I think that beyond anything, that's what God wants to have with us. I remember about, oh... About a year ago, I think it was, maybe, maybe two years ago, I was moving out of, the, out of an apartment, and we had one thing left in the apartment, and it was a couch. I was very busy. I was still working full-time and trying to get everybody moved from one place to the next, and all that was left was this one couch. So I called a buddy of mine. I said, I have one more day to get this couch out of the apartment because if I don't get it out, they're going to take it and get rid of it for me. I'd rather have it. So he says, sure, I'll help you out. So later on in the evening, we decided to go pick up the couch at the apartment. I met him at a gas station. We took off together in his truck, and we went to the apartment, opened up the door. It was locked. Walked in, went to grab the couch, and guess what wasn't there? Couch. That's weird. We left it there. It should have been there, right? So we thought, well, maybe somebody broke in. We started looking around. It was a little apartment, so there weren't tons of windows, and I went and checked the windows and the doors. Nothing was open. It was all locked. Management didn't say anything about it. They didn't take it. We still don't know to this day what happened to it. So I told my friend Don, I said, Don, I'm sorry. Uh, I drug you out here this late at night to pick up a couch. I said, we can just head back to the gas station. So we headed back to the gas station, and I was just thinking about all the things that I had to do and how busy I was. And when we got back to the gas station, we pulled in beside my car, and I looked over, and there was another truck sitting in the parking lot at the gas station where my car was. And in it was a lady. And you could just see her face. She was just saying with her, her facial expressions, I need help. And I kind of shrinked from that because I thought, you know, I don't have time for this. Um, somebody else can help her out. I just, I don't want to bother with it. And so I was talking to Don. And before I could say anything, Don says, hey, maybe we should help her out. And I thought, oh, man. All right, Lord. I'll stick around. And so we went and asked her, do you need some help? Yes, uh, I need some help. What happened? Well, my engine's not working. My, my truck's not working. So Don's a mechanic. He takes a look at it, and he sees that we can't fix it. So we decided to stick around with her and help her out uh, until someone else could come and, and take her to get some transportation and take care of her truck. Well, in the process, we began talking. And as we talked, she shared with us that she had... Uh, been in a Christian experience, and she shared that she was leading out in ministry in her church, but after a while, the church had rejected her, and no longer was she a part of that church. She wasn't a part of that music ministry that she was involved with before. And then I just had a, a question in my heart. I asked her, I said, are you, are you having personal Bible studies? And you know, she looked at me, and she says, who are you? And what church are you a part of? And so I told her, I said, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And I uh, said, so I was just wondering whether or not you, you've been involved in Bible studies. So we moved on into the rest of the conversation. And she basically said that she had not been in a relationship with Jesus for a while. And as we began to talk, she began to share with me a little bit about why she hadn't been in a relationship with Jesus. She had once been in one, but the relationship was broken. And she then began to tell me what had happened. 
she had gotten involved with massage therapy, but it wasn't the massage therapy that you necessarily go to school for. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of Craigslist? Okay, on Craigslist, she was kind of promoting herself and letting men know that she was available for, for work. And when she was talking to me about it, she was just telling me that, you know, she didn't uh, mind doing it, but in the process, she was being taken advantage of. And so guy after guy throughout her life would try to make the moves on her and try to do things that she didn't want to be a part of. And time and time again, she was hurt by men in her life until it drove her completely away from the Lord and completely away from any positive, good, holy relationships with guys. Okay? In the process, it led her into an illicit relationship with another woman. And as we talked, I realized that God had a burning desire to bring her back home. And that's why I was there at that moment in time. She had also locked the, the keys in her truck and she couldn't get back into it. I mean, she was my audience. She had nowhere to go. She had no ability to get anywhere. And I had her right there in front of me. I was her witness, if you will. I was her witness. And so as she began to share with me this whole experience. I told her, I said, you know, God loves you. And I said, what I sense right now is that he's calling you back into relationship with him. And I said, you don't need to put it off. I said, it's something that he wants you to do right now. And we began to talk more, and she kept getting pages on her phone, and she kept looking at it, and she kept shaking her head. We would continue to talk. I would share with her about the love of Christ and the danger of the situation that she was in. And she kept getting more text messages and more text messages. And finally, she looks at it, and she says, I can't believe this. She says, this is very strange. And she shows it to me, and on the screen it says, are you talking with Jesus? Then she said these words. She says, I feel tonight that my eternal salvation is at stake. And I couldn't have agreed with her more. I asked her to make a commitment to the Lord, and she said that she would think about it. And as we began talking, it's like that moment in time started up again. Phone call came in. Hey, someone's coming to help. Door was unlocked, and all of a sudden she was back in her truck. We were heading off in another direction, and that moment was over. And I realized more than anything that night that God wanted to be in a relationship with her. And the reason that the relationships that she was in were broken and they were hurting was because she didn't have one with God. And God was appealing to her that night, hey, I still love you. I still want to be in a relationship with you. And possibly, just maybe, there is a good, positive Christian relationship waiting for you out there. But we can't have one unless we're in one with Jesus Christ. Now, here's a question for you. Why is it that so many young people struggle with this idea of being in a relationship with God today? Why does it seem so far off? Can anyone tell me? The examples they've seen. The examples they've seen? Okay, anybody else? Yes. Afraid of losing friends. Afraid of losing friends, okay. Anybody else? They make God responsible for all the bad things. Make God responsible for all the bad things? Why does it seem so scary? Why do we shrink from this relationship with Jesus Christ? Why does it seem so impossible? Don't want to deal with the conviction of having to give things up. Okay, don't want to deal with the conviction of having to give things up. Maybe like this young lady, the, uh, the lack of trust is there because of all the other broken relationships. Like how can God be any better to me than the people that I'm experiencing relationships with right now? I've met many people like that who are still struggling in their marital relationships because they have had, I'm sorry, they're struggling with their, um, their relationship with God because of all the dysfunctional relationships that they've had before. And even in their marriage relationship, they're struggling because they've had bad relationships. They account that bad relationship that they've had to their relationship with God, and they think that that's the way it is with Him, and they bring it right back into their marriage relationship today. And so you have a dysfunctional relationship that continues on and on and on and on because people don't get that God is not like the rest of the relationships in this world. He is completely consistent. He doesn't fail us. The only failure that comes is on our part. And so when I think about the reason people shrink from it, it's because oftentimes they're afraid of getting hurt again. Or maybe they see it in another person's life. They see that that person has just had one bad relationship after another, and they don't want to be a part of that. That's how I felt for a long time growing up about your age. Uh, my mother was married a, a few different times, and the men that she was married to were just, you know, they were no good. I'll just be honest with you. 
And so I looked at that and said, I never want to be married because that's the relationship that I'm basing my relationship upon. And it wasn't until I met Jesus Christ that I realized that those relationships that I was seeing had nothing to do with the relationship that I could have if I had Jesus in my life. So another thing that you might want to think about, another reason that we may shrink from our relationship is because we're afraid of the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen when it comes to us and God. We don't know him well enough. So it's hard to take... It's hard to, to believe and trust in someone that we don't know very well. Is that true? Yeah, go ahead. Afraid of commitment. And that can come from a, a few different areas, you know, from being hurt, from not knowing a person. I mean, how many of you are willing to, like the Bible might say, lay down your life for someone you don't know? Hardly any. If some stranger calls you on the phone and says, hey, I'm down at the market on this street and that street. I need a ride. Can you come pick me up? How many of you are going to do that? Like, I don't even know who you are. I think you've got the wrong number, right? But if you're in relationship with someone, say your mom or your daddy, your brother or your sister, or your good friend calls and they say, hey, I'm down in such and such a corner at such and such a street. Can you please come and pick me up? What are you going to do? I'm going. Why? Because I trust them. I'm in relationship with them. And I know that they are who they say they are. And it's the same with our relationships today. We're afraid of the unknown. But once we get to know God, then we can have a better relationship with him and if we have a better relationship with him, we're more secure when we're pursuing a relationship with someone else. Does that make sense? All right. Also, another thing that we struggle with is that we're a see-it-and-believe-it society. We have to have something tangible that says it's real. And that's kind of hard when it comes to our relationship with God because we don't see him necessarily. But the Bible says that he reveals himself to every single person. It's what we do with that revelation of God that makes all the difference in the world. How many of you study your Bibles on a daily basis? Okay, how many of you study your Bibles on a morning-by-morning -morning basis? Okay, some of you may not. I'm going to challenge you to step into that realm of experience and begin a relationship with God first thing in the morning. You may think, oh, I'm too tired. Oh, I don't want to do that. Or, man, I just don't think it's going to benefit me. But I'm going to tell you right now, even if you don't feel that it's going to benefit you right away, it will in the long term. When I first started reading my Bible and developing my relationship with God, it didn't. Yeah, I thought, whatever. You know, I was reading it. I didn't get it. I closed my Bible up. I didn't remember anything I was reading. And I thought, is this really what I need? Uh, people, when I was in prison, told me that it was jailhouse religion. Okay, have you ever heard of that before? Basically, you use it uh, until it gets you what you want. And once it's gotten you what you want, you don't need it anymore. You can get rid of it. It's jailhouse religion. It's not real. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, maybe it is. But then I realized that it wasn't, because in my heart, I had a longing to be in relationship with God. And it only happened, the realization only came after I spent that time with Him on a daily basis. Even though I had a hard time believing and understanding, I still knew in my heart that this book was what it says it was, and that it was God's Word, and that He was real. And even though I didn't understand all the concepts of the teachings of the church today, I knew that one thing, that this was the word of God and I needed to read it. And if you can just begin there, your experience will deepen and develop. And before you know it, you'll be having an experience with God that you thought you never could have. Amen? Also, uh, when I think about the reason that we shrink from a relationship with God, it's because basically we don't believe that we can have it. We've grown up in a church that seems to be without God in some ways, our parents have gone before us and sometimes it's a legalistic religion or our parents just go to church to quiet the conscience, but in the home, there's no religious experience and we don't have anything to base our belief on and so we're full of unbelief. And it's not because we want to be that way, it's just the experience that we've had. And I want to tell you this morning that God is calling you into a relationship with Him. How many, if I told you this morning that God is real, would say, yes, I believe that with all my heart? Can I see your hands? Okay. And even if you don't say that, that's not a problem. But I want to challenge you to find out whether or not it's true. Because if it is true, if it isn't true, you have nothing to lose. But if it is true, you've lost everything if you don't believe it. So belief is a very huge challenge for young people in our world today. And I believe in part because of all the things that inundate our minds that tell us that God isn't real. Do you realize that we're dependent upon so many things for our, our personal experience in this life? I mean, all the way down to tools like this and like this. I mean, these things consume our attention and they consume our lives. And this is how we communicate. And we've lost the attachment of personal relationships 
uh, horizontally, if you will, between human and human. And we see each other every day. With these things, along with everything else that Satan throws at us, it is almost impossible sometimes to maintain that vertical connection, that vertical connection with God. But the Bible says, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. You can have a relationship with him. And it can start today if you want it. Now, there are people in the Bible that had a real experience, and they tell us that a real experience was possible. And one of those people we talked about this morning was Peter. Remember what we read this morning uh, in the devotional time? Peter basically said, listen, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We're basically sharing with you what we've seen and experienced. Peter said, I had a real experience with Jesus. We talked about uh, John and how John had a real experience with Jesus. Um, Peter, before he, uh, before he died, uh, the Bible tells us had to be recommitted to Christ. He had to be converted again. And even once he was converted, he still didn't get it perfectly. He was still uh, causing trouble sometimes in the church. But God still loved him. And Peter loved Jesus. And as that relationship grew, even though Peter wasn't willing to lay down his life initially for Jesus, he denied him and left him for dead, really, before he went to the cross. Later on, at the end of Peter's life, we find that Peter was willing to die for Jesus on the cross. And he said, listen, I don't want to hang right side up on the cross, history tells us. He says, I want to be hung upside down because I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that Jesus died. Amazing, huh? You know why he was able to do that? Because he knew who Jesus was. He understood that relationship and he knew that what Jesus had promised him would come to fruition later on in, in his life. He said, I know that if I go to the grave, one day Jesus is going to come back and raise me up again. How could he say that? Because he saw Jesus on the earth. He saw the things that he did. He believed in his heart. He saw him ascend back into heaven and he believed what the angel said. He, the angel said, listen, this same Jesus who went up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go up into heaven. You can rest assured that he's coming back again. And Jesus said, throughout that period of time that I'm in heaven, Peter, I'm going to be establishing a relationship with you. I'm giving you my spirit. I promise you that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Peter said, I believe it. And so did John. John said, I believe it. And in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John said, listen, uh, we have seen him, we've touched him, we've, we've heard him ourselves, we know that this is the Christ. And John, on the island of Patmos, when he was there writing the book of Revelation in his old age, had a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's sharing his personal experience, if you will, from the island of Patmos with people like you and like me. Now, how do you think John endured that time in Patmos? He's out in a barren island by himself. How do you think he did it? He had faith in Jesus Christ. And guess who came to visit him on that island? Who was it? Yeah. He got a visit from heaven. And he had one of the most profound, awesome revelations that's ever been given to humanity. Have you read the book of Revelation? Have you? Awesome book. And John is just sharing with us his experience that he's having with Jesus. One thing I want to share with you this morning is that all of you here this morning who have a relationship with God, you didn't go after God. Do you understand that, right? You didn't go looking for him. He came pursuing you. When it came to Peter, who came looking for Peter after he had sinned against Jesus? Was it Peter looking for Jesus or was it Jesus looking for Peter? Jesus looking for Peter. And time and again, you find God pursuing his people. How about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Who came pursuing, Adam and Eve or, or God? God did. So time and time again, God is pursuing his people all down through the ages. And we find at the end of time, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, that the everlasting gospel is being preached by an angel flying in the midst of heaven. That angel represents God's people. And it's God speaking through his people at the end of time, pursuing the rest of the world who are not in relationship with him. I mean, the whole idea and the concept, guys and gals, is that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you and he wants you to have a real experience so that you can share it with other people. And then when we think about having relationships with other young people, um, he wants to make sure that we're rooted and grounded in that loving experience so that we can be safe in the human relationships or in the human relationships that we get into. Do you believe that? So God has been pursuing us. I want to share this beautiful thought with you that God has been pursuing a deeper relationship with us since time began. Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. He left the heavenly courts for a life of reproach and insult and a death of shame. 
He who is rich in heaven's priceless treasure became poor, that through his poverty we might be rich. And we are to follow in the path that he trod. Jesus came pursuing us, and the relationship was so important to him that the Bible says, the Bible says, the Spirit of Prophecy says that he left heaven. He left the adoration of angels. He left their worship. He left the very presence of his Father and of the Spirit that he had been with throughout eternity. He left the beauties and the awesomeness of heaven to come and be in relationship with you. That should get you excited. Amen? I mean, to think that the God of heaven left heaven to come here and be with you, you should be excited. I mean, it should be one of the most awesome thoughts that you could ever have. Because here he is living in eternity. We're down here hating him and sinning sinning against him and not even believing in him. And he says, you know what? No matter. I want to come down there anyway because I need them to understand how much I love them and how much I want to be in relationship with them. Amazing to me that God would do such a thing. The Bible says that if we respond to him, he will no means and by no means cast us out. You know, John testified of the last great conflict that would take place on earth in in the book of Revelation. And here it says in the great controversy, the last great conflict between truth and error is but the final struggle of the long-standing controversy concerning the law of God. Basically, we find that if we're not in relationship at the end of time with God, we're not going to be able to make it through the end of time. When Jesus comes, the controversy is going to be so strong and it's going to be so challenging that if we do not have the relationship, there's no way that we'll make it. And I want to let you know this morning that it's not just this battle at the end of time where people are searching out and hunting out the Adventists so that they can kill them and we're going to be hiding in the hills and mountains and rocks. The battle at the end of time is between us and our own thoughts that are taking place in our mind. How we're dealing with every single thing that's taking place around us. And Satan will even use bad relationships to lead us out of a relationship with Christ so that at the end of time, at the end of the conflict, we will not be ready when Jesus comes. We're told that God has given us his word that we may become acquainted with his teachings and know for ourselves what he requires. What does this say right here? Become acquainted and that we would know for ourselves what he requires. So why has God given us the Bible then? So we can get acquainted with him, right? I mean, how do you get acquainted with people? How do you do it, Mac? Talk to them, hang out with them, right? And then you decide whether or not you like them. If you talk to them, if you like him, you hang out with him. If you don't, you, you won't, okay? So we spend time with him in his word, and when we spend time with him in his word, we, we become acquainted with him, and then we understand what he desires for the relationship on a personal level with people like you and like me. So we can have the experience of deepening, deepening this relationship by spending time with God and his word. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 39, you have your Bibles with you? John chapter 5, verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have what? Eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So what what does the Bible talk about? Anybody help me out? Jesus says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So what does the Bible talk about? What is it about? it's about? It's about Jesus himself. Listen to the scripture. You search the scriptures. You search the what? For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So Jesus says, if you want a personal experience, if you want to know me better, come and study the Bible. Come spend time reading the word. If you look in John chapter 14, verse 6, it says, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. Life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. So Jesus said, the scriptures testify of me. They testify that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
And in John chapter 17, verse 3, we talked about it this morning. Jesus says, and this is eternal life. Number one, it's me. He says, this is eternal life. They might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what being in a relationship with God is all about. Spending time with him, getting acquainted with him, understanding who he is, and coming to the realization that if we have a relationship with him, we have eternal life. Isn't that awesome? And it's not going to be the life that we have here where we're morose and bored and tired and life seems to have no meaning and I hate it. And you know, on and on and on, you hear this from people who don't have a relationship with Christ. And it's not that God doesn't love them. He's looking at them from the outside in and he's saying, I wish they would get it. I wish they would hear me knocking at the door of their hearts. You know, there's that text that we all know in Revelation chapter 3. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and do what? Knock. If any man or any woman hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It's emphatic. God says, there's no question about it. I'm here. I'm knocking. All I want you to do is open up, spend time with me. He says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. There's no question in God's mind that he wants to be in relationship with us. No question at all. The question is, will we allow him to come in? Because when he does come in, it absolutely changes our lives. It turns it right side up, not upside down. And we have an awesome experience and we begin to understand what life is really all about. And it doesn't mean that life is all a bundle of joy and giggles while we're here, but it does mean that our life takes on meaning and purpose when we come into a relationship with Christ. And when we come into that saving relationship with him, when we're in it, it begins to safeguard our experiences with other people, right? The Bible tells us that there's a way that we can know and understand sin. It's by studying the Bible. It's by getting in there and finding out how God defines sin and what the results of those sins are. Uh, The Bible also says that what a man sows, that shall he also reap. So if we don't know God, if we're not studying his word, if we're not spending time with him, it's hard for us to understand the whole process that takes place out there when we're making our decisions. We don't know what the end result is going to be for some of those decisions. Now, some of them we do. If we murder somebody, we're going to end up where? Right, okay. If we commit adultery, probably the end result will be divorce. Okay, there are some very basic things that we know, but when it comes to developing relationships with with other people, it can be very intricate. It can be very challenging. And what I've seen too often in the lives of young people is that they disregard their relationship with Jesus. Uh, They say that they know him, but they don't really, nor do they take the time. And then they attempt to get into one of the most intricate, challenging relationships that you'll ever know. And they have no idea how to do it. It's like getting into a car and trying to drive high speed on a curvy road with a blindfold on. Are you with me? It can be that challenging. The Bible tells us that the heart of a man is deep. Who can know it? And if the heart is that deep, and we don't even know it ourselves, there's only one person that does. Who is it? Can I share a scripture with you? John, or, um, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. If you'll open up your Bibles there with me. We're going to revisit this passage of Scripture a few times during the seminar. And I'm just, I'm just wanting to lay some groundwork with you. I know some of this may be basic about developing a relationship with Jesus, but it's, it's imperative. If you don't have it, like I said before, there's no reason for you to be in a relationship with another person. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verses 9 and 10. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What's the question there at the end of the text? Who can know it? So the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Basically, Jeremiah is saying, hey, listen, we don't even know our own hearts. We don't even know what's there. And then the good news comes in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So who knows the heart? Who knows the mind? Jesus does. And so if we don't know it and we don't have a relationship with him, We don't even know what's taking place here, really, except on a superficial level. How can we even feel safe getting into a relationship with somebody else? Does that make sense? So like I said, driving blindly down a curvy road, almost impossible. Jesus thought that we were worth being in relationship with, uh, without question. And if you look in your Bible, in Psalm chapter 49, verses 7 through 9, 
By the way, can anyone tell me why Jesus came into the world? Yeah. To save us. To save us. The Bible says he came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came. And the Bible says in John 3.17 that he came not into the world to condemn us, but that the world might be saved through him. It's his greatest desire to have us to be with him where he is once again. If you look at the Bible, the bookends of the Bible, if you will, you have the book of Genesis, you have the book of Revelation. In the book of Genesis, you have a heaven and an earth that's been created. Okay? It's a perfect world with perfect people, perfect food, if you will, perfect relationships between God, man, man, and man, and man, and the animal kingdom. It's just a perfect place. And then we have a problem. Sin entered in. Uh, man began to be in rebellion against God. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. And ultimately, not too long after creation, we find that the whole world is wicked and close to being destroyed by God. But in his mercy, he saved a few people that were looking to him. So this battle between good and evil takes place. Jesus comes and he sets the standard once again for humanity. And he gives us what we need to obtain that standard. And then as we process down through the end of time and we come to the very end of time, the Bible says that there's a new heavens and a new earth. In the very beginning, God had a plan. He was going to breathe into the man's nostrils the breath of life after he pulled him up from the dirt and formed him with his hands and bring him to life and bring him into a relationship with himself. Man failed in that area. And ultimately, man was saying, hey, I don't want to be in a relationship with God. I want to do my own thing. And if God would have left us to our own devices, none of us would be sitting here today. We're only alive today because Jesus is alive today. We're only alive today because he's in heaven interceding for us and pouring his mercy and his grace on both the good and the bad with the hope that everybody might believe. And he's doing that because ultimately he wants to have back what he lost in the Garden of Eden and that's a relationship with you and with me. And so he saw that you were priceless in his eyes. And that's what Psalms chapter 48 is talking about here in verses 7 through 9. It says none of them Actually, let's, let's read up a little bit further here in verse 6. It says, They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, which is most of the world today. It says, None of these people can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. In other words, it is impossible for us, no matter how rich we are, no matter what kind of means we have, to save ourselves or even save anybody else. In fact, that idea is considered treason in heaven. It says, why? For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever. In other words, without Christ, we have no hope to live forever. But he sees you, he sees me, and he looks upon us as precious. And as we look at the cross of Christ, as we look at the struggles and challenges that he had day by day, as we look at the fact that he left heaven for you and me, we realize that we actually mean something to him. That's worth being in a relationship for, isn't it? I mean, I want to be in a relationship with someone that loves me. I want to be in a relationship that I can be secure in. I want to be in a relationship that I know will not fail. And I can only know that when I see that coming from the life of another person. When you consider a relationship with someone else, we'll talk about this a little bit more, you better be looking closely at their life to see whether or not they're fitting the bill. There's nothing wrong with that. Scrutinize them, if you will. Look at every aspect of their life and do not concede to be even in a, in a superficial relationship with them until you know that they're headed in the right direction. Jesus says that our souls are precious. And in verse 9, it says that he should still live forever and not see corruption. Only God can ransom the soul from the grave. Here in the great controversy, it says, it's the first and highest duty of every rational being to learn from the scriptures what is truth and then to walk in the light and encourage others to follow its example. So God calls us into a relationship with him. That's his, our first and highest duty. And the reason that he wants us to do that is so that we can set a faithful example and encourage others to do what we're doing. It says we should day by day study the Bible diligently, weighing every thought and comparing Scripture with Scripture. With divine help, we are to form our opinions for ourselves as we are to answer for ourselves before God. When we think about being in a relationship with other people, it's important and imperative that we look at the Scriptures and we weigh every thought and compare Scripture with Scripture so that we know what we're looking for when we look for a companion out in the world today. 
And I can almost guarantee you that even in our church, 50 to 75% of the young people that I see are not fit to be in any type of relationship with another person. That's just from what I've seen and from what I've experienced. And that's scary. Because even though I see that they're not fit, I still see them engaging in, in conversations that they shouldn't be in. I still see them coming close to people in a way that they shouldn't come close to people. And you may call me prudish, but I know the beginning and the end of the process. I've seen uh, what happens to young people uh, around your age and even in the colleges uh, when they don't follow the principles, they don't compare Scripture with Scripture, they don't consider it their first and highest duty to get into the Bible and find out what truth is. I've been on campuses like Southern Adventist University, and there are a lot of good things happening there. No, by no means am I undermining the, the ministry and the education there, but I've been there, and I've seen what happens with many of the students on campus. They go there, they have a form of godliness, but they're denying the power. They say that they're Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but they don't know what it means to be one. And then I see them after hours, if you will, in the clubs. I see them out dancing, sitting in theaters, watching movies that are only going to promote bad relationships, the bad relationships that they're already in. I see them spending late hours with each other. I see them coming into close physical relations that they shouldn't be in even before they get married. And yet this is taking place right on our campuses. Why? Because people, Seventh-day Adventist Christians even, are not studying their Bibles to find out what it means to be in a relationship with another person. Young men, let me tell you real quick here. I think, what do we have, till 9.30? 9.45? Good. 9.45. 10.45. Okay, 9.45 for me. 10.45 for you guys. In the Bible... Uh, it says that uh, husbands ought to love their wives even as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself or gave himself for it. And a lot of times I see young men not willing to sacrifice but wanting to take all that they can out of a relationship with another young lady, even risking her health and her conscience to do it. That's not what Jesus did. When Jesus thought about being in relationship with his church, he says, I'm going to do all that I can to represent God. I'm going to show them what it means to be in a pure and holy relationship. And I'm not going to take advantage of their feelings, their thoughts, of their emotions, or their bodies. And when he came into this world, he revealed that in several different ways. All the way down to a very practical picture with a person like Mary Magdalene. Someone who was affectionately rubbing his feet with oil and, and rubbing his hair. I mean, how intimate a situation this could be. But Jesus never let on that he was interested in anything but the salvation of that young lady's soul. And young men, if you're interested in anything outside of that primarily, then you need to rethink your relationship with the young lady that you're in a relationship with. Because if you're not willing to sacrifice for her salvation, there's no way that you're going to sacrifice any other area of, her li of your life for her benefit, for her true and holy and pure benefit. And young ladies, you have every right to look at a guy and say, does he meet the standard that I'm looking for when it comes to the Bible? And that's why it's so important to consider it, or consider the Bible, studying it, your first and highest duty. Because you will not know the standard if you're not spending time with the standard. You know, look at the life of Jesus and see what he's all about. Look at the writings of Peter and Paul. Look at the holy men of old and see how they were working and how they were functioning and then say, all right, these are the things that I see and I want to compare it with the guy that I'm, I'm interested in. doesn't mean that he has to be perfect, of course, but at least he has some of these qualities. He's heading in that direction and you're not going to concede in any of these areas. You have that right as a young lady. It's your privilege to do that. And you do not have to enter, enter into a relationship that is not defined positively by biblical principles. Does that make sense? All right? So go, go get them, but get the right one. Okay? All right. We are living in the most solemn period of this world's history. The destiny of earth's teeming multitudes is about to be decided. Our own future well-being and also the salvation of other souls depend upon the course which we now pursue. 
It says we need to be guided by the spirit of truth. Every follower of Christ should honestly inquire, Lord, what will you have me to do? We need to humble ourselves before the Lord with fasting and prayer, meditate much upon his word, especially upon the scenes of judgment. We should now seek a deep and living experience with the what? With the things of God. We have not a moment to lose. And I think about this in the greater context of bringing people into a relationship with Christ, but these principles also apply when it comes to our relationships with other people. We look here, it says, our own future well-being and also the salvation of others depends upon the course which we now pursue. In other words, if I'm thinking about being in a relationship with someone else, the course I'm pursuing, whether it be with God or outside of God, is going to influence that relationship that I'm entering into for good or bad. Remember I told you, every decision that we make has an influence for good or for bad, for life or for not life, has consequences for our eternal life or our eternal death. Every decision that we make is so very, very, very important. Even if you think it's small, it's large. We should seek a deep and living experience in the things of God. We have not a moment to lose. You know, think about it, guys. What if the person that you want to be in a relationship is the one that God is asking you to save? What if that person that you're coming close to is really the one that God is asking you to witness to, to share his life with? And then what happens if you put your wants and your desires for that relationship before that? And then the relationship progresses and you never get around to really deepening your relationship with Christ, number one, and you never get around to sharing his life with that other person. And you go on with that type of influence. Ultimately, you could come down to the end of time and have lost not just your soul, but theirs too. Your influence is huge, whether you realize it or not, in the life of another person. It just makes sense to live your life for what seems impossible, because you've lost nothing, okay, in the end if it's not true. Does that make sense? We should live our lives for the impossible. We can read the Bible and we can see the principles that are there. And even if it doesn't happen, even if Jesus doesn't come, and he is, by the way, he'll be here, he's coming. But even if for some reason it didn't happen, you still haven't failed in anything because if you read in the Bible, the principles are so basic and so clear and so awesome that if you use these even in a broken world, they have a positive effect and people are blessed by them. I think of one that continues to come to my heart. The Bible says, Be kind and tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ has forgiven you. What happens when you follow those principles? What happens when you're kind and tender-hearted to that person that's upset with you? Or you're upset with them? It tends to break down those hard feelings and, and thoughts. And sooner than later, as you're kind and tender-hearted and you're forgiving, it develops kind of this forgiving environment in the heart of another person. And the next thing you know, hopefully, you're in a relationship with them once again and it's positive. That's just one biblical principle. The Bible is chock full from beginning to end of awesome principles that we can use in relationship with other people. But there's one thing that we have to realize, and that is that we need to be in relationship with who? Jesus. We talked about how that works. We get into it. We study it. We make it our first duty to know what it says. Then, and only then, are we ready to be a part of someone else's life and have that positive influence. The depth and strength of a relationship is proportionate to the time and the effort that we put into it. So where does it begin for you? Have you recognized the cost that God has incurred in saving your life? Yes or no? Have you? If I were to ask you this morning, how important is a relationship with Christ to you? What would you tell me? Most important? If I were to ask you why, what would you tell me? salvation of your wife and your children. I want you to think about this for a moment. We have sometimes a very selfish perspective when it comes to our salvation. We pray to God and ask God to forgive us of our sins and to save us from our unrighteousness and we want to be a part of His kingdom. You understand what I'm saying, right? And it's good. We should pray for those things. But our prayers should also go up, even more so, 
for the world around us, for the people that God is bringing us into relationship with. You know, I think of Moses, who fed up with the children of Israel, worshiping idols, running around partying and half naked after they had just met with God. God says, listen, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth, but I'm going to make a nation out of you, Moses. I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you because you've been faithful to me. And Moses could have well said, well, you know, God, I don't deserve it, but by your grace, I'll be a mighty nation for you. You know? Is that what he said? No. He said, no. I want them to be in the kingdom. I know that they're a crazy, rowdy bunch of idolaters, God. And I know that they don't deserve your love, and I hear what you're saying about them. But... If you're going to destroy them, destroy me too, because I cannot be in the kingdom without them. Moses got it. He understood what being in a relationship with God was all about. He understood the heart of Jesus. It was a heart that longed for other people to have that relationship with God too. And what's amazing is when people have relationship with God, the other party has a relationship with God, and those parties come together, the relationship is intense, and it's powerful, and it's awesome. It doesn't mean that those relationships won't have their struggles, amen? Amen. It just means that they're secured and solidified and built upon the relationship with Christ. And if Jesus says that he won't cast us out, And there's nothing that can separate us from his love. If that's the type of relationship that he's having with us, and we have that going on right here in our hearts, and we're sharing that with each other, by default it means that nothing can separate us from the relationship that we're in in with each other on a human level. Amen? Then if we follow that principle, there would be no more divorce. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? There'd be no more broken relationships if we would be willing to follow the principles that God has has laid out for us in his word. My question this morning for you as we end this part, are you in a relationship with Jesus? Not just am I a Seventh-day Adventist, are you a Seventh-day Adventist Christian? Not just... Are you going to church on Sabbath? But are you in a relationship with Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know his voice? Do you know what he's speaking to you personally? One of the things that frightens me about our world today, our church today, oftentimes I ask people, do you believe that you can still hear the voice of God? There's a big question mark on the forehead because they don't believe it anymore. They want to believe it, but because of their lack of relationship, they haven't heard it. They've taken the Bible for granted. They assume that they're hearing the voice of God, and it creates an unstable environment in their heart, in their homes, in their relationships. And they don't even know if they're in a a relationship with God. I want to let you know this morning that you can hear His voice as clear as a bell speaking to you. And when you can get that, There's nothing more exciting, more incredible than to hear that voice in the morning telling you what to do. Hearing that voice in the afternoon telling you what you should say and what you should experience, who you should talk to. And going to bed and in the the evening time conversing and communicating with him and hearing how he has viewed your day and what you need to do tomorrow to make it better. You can know these things. You can hear these things. You can be in relationship with God in this way. When I finally came to that realization, I remember kneeling by my bedside. And it wasn't an idea anymore. It was a reality, being in relationship with God. And what I would do is I would get down by my bed. I would kneel and I would pray And I would get up my pad and my paper and wait to hear Jesus' voice. I would ask him, Lord, what is it that you want me to do today? And I would wait and I would listen. 
And you know, thoughts began, began to run through my mind, ideas, and I would write them down, and those are the things that I would pursue during the day. And I began to gain such a confidence and such a delight when I had this type of relationship with God that nothing was more important to me because I knew that He was speaking. And too often times we don't have that relationship because we're in and out of our devotional time before we can say boo. We spend 10 minutes with Jesus, two minutes in prayer. Jesus, I love you. Bless my day. Be with my family. In your name I pray, amen. We're in and out of that relationship. We haven't even spent time with him. And you guys have told me already that in order to have a relationship, you must spend time with the person. You cannot run in and out of the holy precincts of prayer and Bible study and think that you're going to have a strong, tight relationship with Jesus. The Bible says over and over again in different ways that people walked with God. They spent evenings and mornings and afternoons praying to Him. They do it on a consistent minute-by-minute basis. The Bible reveals this to us. It's a deepening, ongoing, awesome relationship with Him. If you don't have it, you need it. And if you don't have a desire for it, pray for it, because without it, you have nothing. But if you have it, you have everything. And if you have that everything, the relationships that you have with other people are limitless. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you're calling us into a relationship with you. And we just want to pray that you would continue to strengthen uh, the relationships that we do have. And if we don't have a relationship with you, Father, we pray with all of our hearts that you would lead us into that relationship with you, that you would deepen it over time. You would help us to be patient and, and endure as we move from darkness into the light of your presence. And Lord, always remind us how important this relationship is with you in light of establishing relationships with other people. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.